What's up, military millionaires? Today we have an exciting episode with Sean Gillespie of Redeployment Wealth. He is a fee-only financial planner, which means that he has a fiduciary responsibility to actually look out for your best interest, which is why I like fee-only planners. And we're going to talk a little bit about whole life insurance, term life insurance, real estate and cash reserves, and what you should do as a young investor. So this is good. There's some good topics in here, and it's just refreshing to hear it from a standpoint of somebody who's not getting a commission. So they're a little bit more, I don't know if honest is the word, but transparent perhaps. Anyway, it's a good episode. Definitely listen all the way through some solid resources at the end, including some free courses for financial independence and stuff. So definitely check it out. And as always, show notes are found at from military to slash podcast. Now relax and enjoy the show. You're listening to the Military Millionaire Podcast, a show about real estate investing for the working class. Stay tuned as we explore ways to help you improve your finances, build wealth through real estate, and become a person that is worth knowing. Hey, listen up, guys and girls, active duty and veterans. I have an important announcement to make. May 29th and 30th is going to be the first ever Veterans Live conference. Now, what this is, is it is a military real estate investor conference hosted by military real estate investors, spoken at by military real estate investors, and attended by military real estate investors. Obviously, if you are not military, you are welcome to attend. However, it will be geared towards veterans and service members helping veterans and service members. Myself, the Military Millionaire Community, Stuart Grazier, the Military Investor Network, and Bill Allen of Seven Figure Flipping are all going to be putting this on together, and this is going to be an awesome event. May 29th and 30th, Check out below for a link to register, and I look forward to seeing you there. Hey, what's up, Military Millionaires? I'm your host, David Prey. Alex couldn't make it today, but we have Sean Gillespie on the call, who is a 20-year Navy veteran, and what I really like about this is he is a fee-only financial planner, which uh, we will get into in a little bit, but I think that's, well, you'll understand why that's important here soon, but Sean, welcome to the show. Thanks, David. Appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. Why don't you uh, give my audience just a little bit of background about yourself and how, like, how you went from Navy to talking about money for a living? Sure. Uh, so I, I started getting enthusiastic about money around about 90, 1994 or so. Uh, I'd, I'd been commissioned for a couple of years by then. I, I, uh, I escaped from the Naval Academy in 1992. Um, and around 1994, I was starting to get all of my uh, midshipmen and ensign debts paid off. And and I was uh, getting ready to get promoted to, to lieutenant junior grade. And somebody dragged me by the neck to a rubber chicken dinner on a Wednesday night, um, you know, where, you know, the first thing they did was feed us. And then while dessert was being served, they, they did about a 30 or 45 minute talk on here's here's what your financial life looks like. And, you know, it's kind of like a you know, like the scales falling off my eyes and understanding is like, Oh, I don't, I don't have to spend my entire life playing defense with my finances. I'm, I'm actually allowed to attack with this stuff. Um, and so, you know, I did that through a company, uh, you know, that, uh, uh, that a lot of us military folks are, are familiar with, uh, for a while, uh, you know, kind of outgrew it after about five or so years, but that was, that was really where I learned, you know, the habits, uh, you know, that got me on the path to, to doing this. Uh, you know, while I was active duty, I was more of an enthusiast than anything else. I really didn't start, you know, really digging in and studying this stuff until after I had retired and and had gotten licensed up to be a pro in the field in, in 2013. Um, you know, operated as a solo for about four and a half years. And then uh, July of 2018, uh, partnered up with another retired sailor, uh, joined his uh, his firm, uh, which, which had been a fee-only firm uh, from the outset. And and uh, and that was when I made the shift from from being a hybrid guy. I had done some some uh, you know brokerage and advisory and life insurance stuff. Uh, and when I came aboard and joined uh, Paul Allen here at Redeployment Wealth Strategies, uh, that was really his only hard stop. Was it's a fee only firm. It's going to stay a fee only firm. Um, that was really you know it was an easy decision because that was how I was doing most of my work anyway. Uh, at the time. And so, so, you know, leaving those, those couple of other pieces behind, you know, it was an easy business decision. Uh, what I subsequently found out to my delight um, was that it was a much easier decision in terms of, of how much, uh, how much time and energy I no longer had to spend 
uh, you know, managing some of the conflicts of interest that come along. And I know you want to talk a little bit about that later. And so I won't, you know, I'll keep most of that powder dry uh, until we come back around to that, uh, you know, in in a more, uh, you know, in a longer, in a longer fashion. But that's, that's the short version is, you know, I was basically getting ready to retire in in 2011. I had, you know, I was in my last tour and, and, and the guy who'd been our guy, you know, asked if I'd figured out what I wanted to be when I grew up yet. And, And I hadn't. And he said, well, if you come work with me, you might not have to. And so, and so he and I worked together for about six or seven months. And then one day he chased me up a tree and said, Hey, Sean, I think you're going to do this better by yourself than you will with me. So go get busy doing that. Um, you know, which was, which was a really nice way of firing me basically. Um, (laughs) but, uh, but, uh, but I understood pretty quickly that, that, you know, that he had done that with, uh, you know, with, with my best interest at heart. Um, you know, and so, uh, you know, I've, I've, you know, operated as a solo from, you know, 2014 until Paul and I partnered up in 2018. And then, uh, you know, I'm one of two managing partners here now, along with Paul. Awesome. Well, that is cool. And I'm glad that you didn't get into it just to sell expensive products for huge commissions and not tell people. Uh, so could you explain real briefly for the audience what the what a fee-only financial planner is and what the difference is between that and the, I, I would imagine, the overwhelming majority of financial planners? Well, I uh, I guess I should. yeah, I don't know if it's a majority. Here's, here's, here's one of the things uh, that, that is probably not especially well understood. I think it was in 2016 was uh, fees uh, overtook commissions as the leading source of revenue oh, uh, awesome. in, in the financial services industry uh, in 2016. Um, that's, not a, that's not a uniformly positive story. You know, we'll, we'll talk a little bit as well about, you know, the different kinds of fee only uh, engagements that you can get into with planners, Um, you know, but, but for starters, you know, the, the, the industry just has very, very deep roots in commissions. Um, It it started out there in a perfectly honest fashion. I mean, it it used to be, uh, you know, I mean, you know, literally a hundred or more years ago, this was the only way to get anything done. Um, And, uh, you know, and, and it required, people. It required people to do all of these things. Um, and, you know, so to, in order, in order to pay people to do that stuff, you know, commissions was, was about the only way to figure out how to do it. Um, round about middle of the 20th century or so, um, and, and specifically codified in, in the 1940 investment advisors act, um, you know, basically Congress, you know, recognized and codified that, that people could do, you know, what Paul and I do here, uh, you know, with a fee, you know, for a fee paid directly by their clients to them. Um, and, and the important part of that, uh, that legislation is that the caveat that came along with that was a specific legal requirement that anybody who charges a fee directly to a client uh, do everything that they do, recommend everything that they recommend uh, to be in the best interest of the client. Um, that requirement never existed before, still doesn't exist with commission work. Um, and, and in particular, uh, in the life insurance world, doesn't exist at all. There's, there's, no, uh, there's no any kind of fiduciary requirement uh, you know, implied or, uh, or specified. Uh, when it comes to life insurance. And so, um, you know, when, when we military folks uh, in particular, you know, there's, there are companies out there with, with reputations for, you know, for pushing expensive uh, insurance products. Um, you know, that's, that's the thing that, that we just don't understand is, is that the insurance industry, there's, there's no requirement of any sort uh, for that. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't have life insurance. You know, I mean, if, if, if you need life insurance to keep uh, an untimely passing uh, from being financially catastrophic for your family, then you should go get some of that. Um, you know, but, uh, you know, the, the, the different ways that you can skin that cat, you know, in, in, the, in the overwhelming majority of cases, you know, a term policy, you know, that gets you that coverage only for the amount of time that you need it is, is far and away the most efficient way to do it. Um, and, and that, that last piece is the piece that, that the life insurance industry, um, you know, some, some agents are 
very forthcoming about that and will specifically recommend to you, uh, you know, that, that more efficient way to get yourself covered. Um, you know, but, but not all of them do and, and none of them have that obligation. Um, you know, when, when I am walking a client through that, uh, when I am, uh, shepherding them through this process, uh, you know, with, you know, with somebody that we typically refer out to, um, you know, this is basically part of my job as a fee only planner, uh, is to, is to, to basically be a watchdog on that process, um, and make sure that, you know, that they're only getting the coverage that they need and they're not paying a nickel more than they need to pay for it. Yeah. Which is awesome because, uh, as we were talking before we recorded <clears throat> the, I am now going to have term life for a half a million dollars for me and my wife. And it's going to cost the exact same amount that my wife, one whole life policy for $50,000 cost my wife, which is, I mean, that's ridiculous. Like we're talking 20 times more insurance between the two of us for, I mean, I don't plan on hopefully knock on wood, won't need life insurance past the age of 60. So we're both insured till then. And yeah. I'm yeah, 20 times the insurance for the same amount of month. It's yeah. Yeah. Typically when, when we're, you know, when we're doing a life insurance need analysis with clients, we're looking for two end states uh, out of that policy. You know, so the, the, the first end state that we're looking for is that we want that policy to, to provide all the coverage that they need for the 20 or 30 or so year period that we're looking at. Um, and then we want that policy to expire without them ever using it. Um, the other end state that we're looking for at the end of that 20 or 30 years is, is we want that client's life insurance need to be zero. Um, you know, and so, and you know, when you hear people talking about, you know, buy term and invest the rest, you know, when people, when people poo poo that, you know, people who, uh, who take the other side of that conversation, uh, you know, where they come from is, well, what we find is, is people don't, people don't invest enough. You know, they don't invest that difference, uh, aggressively enough. They don't invest enough of the difference, uh, you know, to make, you know, to drive that future life insurance need to zero. Um, you know, my question for anybody who takes up the other side of that conversation is why don't your clients invest enough to get to that zero life insurance need 20 or 30 years from now. And, yeah, and that's usually where those conversations stop. Right. Cause if you're not recommending, you know, enough, I mean, obviously yeah. pe people are fickle and don't always do what they know is best for them. But you know, I mean, I, I wouldn't say that I've done everything right, but I know, you know, as, as I look back and I'm like churning stuff as I'm building my business and bootstrapping and I look at my crazy expenses and income on all that as I grow and shrink and yeah. grow and shrink and you know, whatever. Yep. Some, sometimes I get to the point where I'm like, oh my goodness, what am I like? How much did I actually put away this month? And then I remember like, oh, I'm looking at all this, but I put 25% of my paycheck in my TSP. So yeah, regardless, I did that right. You know, at yeah. least, at least that's a grand a month or whatever that comes out to that is quite, you know, it, it, anyway, so it's, it's just good to have a baseline and people just yeah. need to, if you set it aside in a way that comes out of your account or whatever, you never see it. You don't notice it's gone. Yeah. Well, I, I got a dirty little secret for you. Not, not too many financial advisors do everything right financially either. Um, I think we're probably, you know, if you took a cross section of the, of the financial advisor community, um, you know, we're probably better than the, the typical, uh, like, like doctor in some high stress job, who's a two pack a day smoker. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, but none of us have done everything right either. Um, you know, the, you know, the important part of, of, you know, what we bring to the table in any of these client engagements is not, is not so that we can tell clients, Hey, look at everything I've done. Right. It's, you know, in a lot, and in fact, in a lot of cases, it's, it's specifically to tell clients who walk in, um, you know, let's say, uh, with a very Catholic mindset, you know, feeling really, really guilty about, you know, something that they thought that they didn't do right. And they're like, Hey, nobody does any of this stuff. Right. You know, uh, you know, yeah. no, no, nobody does all of it right all the time. Um, yeah. and so, you know, the important part, uh, at any, any time we talk to anybody about this stuff is, is, 
hey, let's just take what is and let's make sure that we do it as well as we can from here on out, knowing that that's not going to be perfect either. By the way, I mean, you know, out of all the things that you could do, you know, financially, you know, across, you know, across our lives, I mean, nobody's 100% efficient with all of that stuff all the time. And I don't want anybody to be. I mean, if, if we wanted to be, you know, efficient and smart around every, you know, every money decision that we, that we ever made, none of us would ever have kids. None of us would ever take a vacation. You know, I mean, you know, the, the things, the things that you do, uh, you know, where, where, you know, for example, you know, that 25% of your base pay going into TSP, we do those things so that we can goof off when we want. Yeah. You know, I don't, I specifically do not subscribe to any view of financial planning uh, that, that, that consigns, you know, me or anybody else to a lifetime diet of nothing but broccoli. Um, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I, I concur. Yeah. I just had that discussion with a friend of mine. I meal prepped his super healthy, like chicken, broccoli and rice for a week and I stuck to it and I felt great. And then I, at the end of it, he's like, yeah, that was awesome. I'm like, dude, I'm not doing that again. I'm, I, and I yeah. literally, I literally went and bought, uh, there's a video of me doing this, but I went and bought four meals of not breaded, but Chinese meals with rice. Uh-huh. And I split each dinner into three portions and portioned it out with rice and made 12 meals out of it for the whole week. He's like, what right. are you doing? I was like, look, it's rice, it's chicken, it's stir fry. Sure, there's sauce. Sure, it's not perfect. But I look forward to this meal. Yeah. So I'm going to stick with it. Because yeah. if I don't look forward to it, like last week, I'm going to eat junk food because this is not like, sorry, it's bland. Listen, listen to Hugh Jackman sometime talking about eating nothing but boiled chicken breasts for months while he was training up for all his Wolverine, uh, you know, X-Men roles. It's mm. just, I mean, it's just misery. Yeah. Uh, and, and so, yeah, I mean, you know, we, we want to, you know, we want to be good stewards of our money, um, but we want to do it to enable us to do the things that we want to do. I mean, you know, I mean, every one of us is doomed, uh, and and tomorrow is not promised to any of us. You know, so I think an important part of this stuff is is encouraging people to live now. Yeah, I agree. All right, I have one more insurance question before we. Yeah. I, I do kind of have another question for you, but well, I have several. But uh, mm-hmm. I'm curious, what are your thoughts on? And and we don't have to talk on this too much, but I'm just curious what your thoughts are on the infinite banking whole life. Thick concept that people discuss because I I hear that all the time and and my thought process on it where I'm at with it is I have yet to see a video that explains it to me in a way that I understand in less than like five minutes there is there has never been anything I've ever seen where the concept can be explained where I understand it simply and efficiently and to me that's a bad sign so mm-hmm. by that alone I'm kind of eh but I was just curious you know for the audience because I know that seems to be a hot topic these days what your thoughts as somebody who is not going to, you know, be trying to sell me on it, it might be. Well, and so I I would describe it this way and and I'll try to keep it to one minute or less. Um, When, when we're talking about infinite banking, essentially what we're talking about is, is some kind of cash value life insurance policy. So, so like that whole life policy that, that you just talked about for, for your bride. Um, And, and in order to make those kinds of things work, uh, we have to fund those policies very, very aggressively, um, and so you know it might be a hundred or two hundred thousand dollar whole life policy, or you know a universal life policy, or something, something that stores cash value uh, inside the policy. Um, now, those policies are normally written uh, with with the acknowledgement that we're going to die. Okay, so when when you take out a term policy, you're placing a small bet every month that you're going to die before this contract is over. The life insurance company that has the other side of that contract is placing a very large bet that you won't. Yeah. Okay. Um, they're right about that often enough that even though they pay out big when they lose, they still win because people and you know people uh, who are called life insurance actuaries you know if you give them a 10,000 person sample of you know whatever you know gender height weight uh, you know family health background etc they'll know to an astonishing degree of accuracy 
how many of those 10,000 people are still going to be with us in five years, 10 years, 20 years? And, and, you know, they won't know who, but they'll have a pretty decent idea of how many people out of that group uh, expired from natural causes, how many people were in automobile accidents, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so because of that, they can price life insurance very, very accurately over that 10 or 20 or 30 year period, what are, you know, however long the, the policy is that you, that you wrote for that term policy. The term policies do not store any cash value. That's not the purpose. Term policies are for purely for protection. When we do any kind of permanent life insurance policy, whether it's uh, you know indexed universal life or whole life or whatever, we are taking out that policy knowing that we're going to die one day, and and you know that policy is priced accordingly. Um, you know basically for that policy to be paid up, typically at age one hundred maybe a little sooner, maybe a little bit later. The people who are advocating the infinite banking concept are looking at these policies uh, as being something that you can overfund early. Um, and, and so instead of getting this thing paid up when I'm 100, I can get it paid up when I'm, say, 35. Mm. Okay, so I fund that policy very, very aggressively. My monthly premium might be 500 a month, but I'm going to drop 1500 a month in there so that it's paid up much, much sooner than that. Okay, once it's paid up, I don't have to pay premiums into that policy ever again. And most of these policies are constructed so that you can borrow money from them, either at very low interest rates or maybe even interest-free, depending on the carrier and what they'll, you know, what they'll write and what they won't. Um, so if, if you can afford to very aggressively overfund these policies, um, then once you've done that, it can be super efficient for you, you know, because, you know, this is the banking piece of it. I don't need to get anybody to underwrite a loan when I go to my life insurance policy for it. That's my money that's inside that policy. Mm. I just ask for the money and I get it, you know, and I get it on much more favorable terms than I probably would at a bank, for example. Uh, you know, if it's going to be some kind of unsecured loan, I would anticipate at least a five or a six or a seven percent interest rate yeah. on something that doesn't have some kind of collateral up against it. Um, here's the problem with that concept, and 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 why I am not a subscriber to it. I'm not an advocate to it for most of our tribe. Um, most of us military folks don't have a hundred or two hundred thousand dollars laying around. Uh, to, to very aggressively fund these policies uh, without having some kind of adverse impact on our grocery bill uh, or being able to make car payments or being able to pay rent uh, or anything like that. The typical whole life or, or you know, universal life policy takes a minimum of six or seven years if you're just paying the base premium before the cash value in that policy is equal to the premiums that you've paid into that policy. Okay. So from an investment standpoint, okay. And this is, this is where, you know, this is where, where some of the folks who push these policies acquire a bad name is, is when they start talking about this being an investment and, you know, and for example, this, this policy will return a guaranteed 1% or 4% or whatever, and it might give you, you know, some portion of market gains. That's all great. But from a strict math perspective, when we look at one of these policies, if you pay the base premium, it's going to be six or seven years before your rate of return on that policy gets all the way up to zero. Yep. And so for the people who are either able or willing, you know, to rearrange their financial lives to, you know, or not, you know, not just rearrange, maybe just arrange, you know, for folks who have the means to set themselves up to do that uh, and the discipline, that's fine. Uh, for a great many of us, we don't even have the means. And, it, and in any event, any way you slice it, there's no way that this is efficient. Uh, the most efficient thing that we know in terms of, uh, you know, having an ability to grow wealth is just investing in the broad economy. Um, 
you know, and so, and I know, you know, we're going to talk a little bit more about how to stitch real estate into that as well. Um, and, and there's, you know, there's, there's sound arguments, uh, you know, very much in favor of that. Um, you know, but you know, how we, you know, how we stitch that into a plan matters as well, you know, yep. because you have to take extra measures, uh, to manage risk when, when we start talking about pulling real estate into your portfolio as well. Um, but that's, you know, that's all the long way around, you know, describing, you know, I wouldn't say my gripe with the infinite banking concept, um, but by no means is that for everybody and by no means should it be for everybody. Yeah. My, my theory from it was always, it makes sense or it can make sense if you have a lot of money to put into it very quickly. Otherwise, so as just a numbers example, I mentioned the half of, so I'm getting right now for my wife is like 20 to $25. We're not totally through the process, but the it's, it's looking like it's going to be around 20, 25 bucks for my wife a month for a term life insurance policy for 20 years at $500,000. The $50,000 policy that we've had since 2015, maybe 2016, maybe cost me 60 something dollars. So three times as much a month for a 10th of the coverage and we have less than $500 in cash in that account. So like, right. I didn't, you know, I didn't know what I was doing. That was through, uh, I'm going to go ahead and say it because it's my podcast and I can say it was through First Command, which is the bank that I believe has been alluded to a little bit here, but we don't need to confirm that. Uh, I am quickly pulling all my stuff away from them at the moment. So uh, I did have some stuff with them. I've closed all but one account out and I've got a phone call tomorrow or Monday to liquidate that. So Yeah. Well, I mean, the important part of that is that's that's the same across, you know, across whole life, yeah. you know, or, or any kind of cash value life insurance policies is that's just the way it is. I mean, even for the folks who have the means to get into the infinite banking piece, um, you know, the, the, the the broad market approach is still going to be the most efficient you know long term approach or at least always has been and so this is this is where the people talk about life insurance as it's like well it has guarantees to protect value and all that it's, it's all completely true um but the 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 efficiency to be gained by just getting directly into the market and you can do that at much lower cost than we could a generation and especially two generations ago um, and and certainly before mutual funds you know got more common uh, you know when when you had to have the thousand plus dollars to buy one share of Amazon stock um, yeah. you know so I mean you, you can get into the broad market $25 at a time through Vanguard now Absolutely. Uh, and and there's there's no reason why most people shouldn't which is consequently where I'm moving those funds I'm opening up uh VTSAX accounts for both my kids. So big, big fan of Vanguard. Yeah. Woo! We'll be back with the show in just a minute, but I wanted to take a brief second and say that look, you are already obviously investing in yourself by listening to this podcast. But if you can't figure out how to get past all that daunting crap that you just don't know how to sort through and you're trying to get started in real estate investing and you're just stuck. I, I mean, it happens to all of us. It's daunting. You don't know what you don't know. You don't know everything there is to know, and you don't know really where to find all the information. So that is why I created the Real Estate Investing for Beginners Zero to One course, which is solely designed to get you from, I want to invest in real estate to, holy crap, I have a rental and it's cash flowing. And this course is not going to be anything super complicated that you won't be able to understand. It is just designed to teach you how to build a team, find investments, finance investments, conduct due diligence, close on the investment, and then operate it so that you can enter the real estate investing world smoothly. So if that sounds like something that interests you, definitely check out the link below and it's cheap as hell right now. Uh, all right. So we alluded to it. We'll, we'll rush into it. Uh, I, I was going to ask what your thoughts are on cash reserves for real estate investing because I know there was a, a Facebook post in a group that we're both in not too long <laughs> ago that... Uh, Basically, people saying, hey, so with all this stuff going on in the world with COVID, so this is April 11th, so that we'll keep the, the date on when we're recording right, so when this airs, right. people will know. Uh, basically saying, like, should I have cash reserves or should I have more cash reserves? Like, what are your guys' thoughts on having some cash? And um, I, I know that that could seem like a no-brainer to some, but uh, I would like to hear your thoughts on it because I, I know that it's not an easy topic to answer 
tactfully per se online. <laughs> yeah, well, and the short the short answer, and as tactfully as I can put it, is is that always should have been a consideration. Yeah. Um, and and so you know, for for most of our tribe getting into real estate, you know, whether it was an accident or on purpose, you know, there's there's a lot of folks uh, from our tribe who get into real estate, uh, you know, basically one PCS at a time. You know, buy a house when I get there, um, and then and then keep it and rent it out when I leave. Um, that is an approach. Um, I will leave it to the real estate pros to describe how that's not necessarily the best investing approach. You know how you know how we buy a house when we're going to live in it is different from how we buy a house when we buy it with an eye toward renting it out. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. And so that's, that's one of the first things that we, we try to caution all of our clients on, um, you know, when we're making those decisions and some days, you know, when, when we get, you know, when we get a couple of uh, layers of that onion peeled back and we realize they just want to live in a better place. It's like, that's fine. You know, then, you know, this is going to be one of those lifestyle choices that we make where we just spend a little bit more money on a place. But when we leave, you know, you know, our two or three year look on this property is to sell it. Um, you know, and that's for a couple of different reasons, you know, not least is, is, you know, owning a property uh, is not as passive an income as um, some organizations who have passive income in their names, for example, uh, might want you to believe, um, you know, owning a property that you rent out is work, um, you know, either because you were paying a property manager to do that work or because you were doing it. Um, and, you know, to, to draw an analogy between a real estate portfolio and an, and an investment portfolio, um, you know, people ask us if, you know, should, should I buy stock? And, and our answer is typically yes. And, you know, naturally the second question is, well, which one? And, <laughs> and the answer is all of them, you know, so, the, you know, the fund that you just talked about that, that VTSAX mutual fund, you know, there's 3,551 different companies uh, you know, that, 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 that fund owns, you know, shares in, in, you know, north of 3000 publicly traded companies in the United States. When you own a real estate property, you only own one of those companies. And, you know, the whole point to diversifying a stock portfolio is so that you don't have to worry about whether you bought winners or losers. You know, the, the important part of that is that, uh, is that you, um, you know, you know, you're going to have some losers in there. And so, um, you know, you buy enough stuff. I mean, you know, Nick Murray does a lot of writing for us advisors and, and the way he describes diversification is if you own enough of any one thing to make a killing, you own enough of it to kill you. Mm. Okay. Yeah. The way my partner Paul describes it is if you don't hate at least part of your portfolio, you're not diversified enough. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. But, but this is the whole point is when you own shares in 3,500 different companies, it doesn't matter which one of them are, are winners and which one are losers. You know, you're just invested in the broad economy. When you own a real estate property, you own one company. And so the minute you don't have renters or the minute, um, you know, the minute, uh, I mean, this is, this is like the worst horror story from, you know, so Paul, you know, my partner Paul here is, is also a, uh, a tax pro. He's an enrolled agent and he had some tax clients um, who um, found out that the property that they had rented out from a previous PCS um, had been employed for the last number of months as a meth lab. Oh yeah. That's a good time. Uh, and so, you know, the first Sounds off like an Arkansas you know, property. Uh, I don't know if it was Arkansas. I don't know how, like, like, you know, <laughs> with, you know, if it was within 50 miles of, uh, you know, whatever was going on in the tiger King or whatever, <laughs> but you know, most, most people who are cooking meth full time aren't, aren't too worried about keeping the property in great shape. You know, so the property was trashed. Um, a high degree of doubt whether the insurance policy that they had on the property was going to cover them for that kind of activity, yeah. you know, and, 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 you know, don't care whether or not you knew this was going on. This is your property. This is your problem. We're not going to cover that. 
Mm. You know, we're here to cover things like tornadoes and floods, not, not activity that's literally illegal. Um, (laughs) And and so, um, you know, long story short is, you know, yeah, you got to have, you got to have a good bit of cash set aside, uh, you know, for any of these properties. I mean, for the properties that you own, David, how, how much cash do you keep in, in reserve per property? At this point, at least 10 grand. Uh, right now I've got uh, my entire TSP is I consider cash reserves because that way I'll never touch my cash reserves unless I absolutely have to. Mm-hmm. And then I currently have on top of that, uh, well, I'm waiting on tax returns and stuff. Once all that comes in, I'll have about 50 grand in a savings account too. But I yeah. am about to, about to spend half of that on another property, but I'm going to buy that thing. By the, time I, by the time I close on that, I'll have purchased it my loan on it will only be about 60% loan to value on it. And I'll have another 10 grand set aside for that one. So, yeah. And so when you, when you set aside that 10,000 per property, do you, do you calculate that 10,000 as part of the, you know, what's the property returning? Cause that 10,000 in cash is returning nothing for you or maybe, maybe, maybe a percentage point sitting in a high yield savings account or something like that. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. Maybe a percentage point. So I, I calculate, yeah. I, you know, honestly, I, probably could do that math on that. I, I generally just leave it there and just pretend it doesn't exist because otherwise I'll get the itch to use it for another property. <laughs> well, and so, you know, I will, I will bet the bar tab anytime, anywhere that the people who are putting on $40,000 seminars about how you can get rich in a hot hurry doing real estate are absolutely not calculating that $10,000 and how little it's earning for you. Mm. If they even bother to tell you to put it in reserve in the first place, um, you know, but if you own individual properties, you doggone sure need it. Um, because there are things that'll happen that, that insurance policies will not cover. Yep. And that's the beauty of, I like the fact that I, you know, like I said, I have cash sitting on the side for sure, but I also calculate or use my TSP a lot. And that's much less guaranteed per se. And I don't ever want to take a loan out for my TSP for a property, but that's yeah. why I fund, I, I justify funding right, right now. I think I mentioned I'm at 25% of my TSP. Well, an extra, I was at like 10 and I started throwing 15% in instead of throwing 15% more into my cash reserves because I have my cash reserves at a substantial rate. I was like, if I overfund the TSP, then I will earn interest on it. I will get tax benefits from it. And ultimately I hope that I never use my cash reserves anyway. So I'd rather have it somewhere like that than, yep. you know, and then if I yeah. need it. Yeah. Well, so for example, I lost $30,000 on a flip, uh, not too long ago. So my, so my, uh, listeners have probably heard this story enough that they don't need me to retell it, but essentially contractor didn't do what I paid him to and yada, yada, yada. So I lost uh, essentially 50% on this flip. And at one point I was sitting there and I was like, I could finish this and I could do this, this, and this. And I probably would have, which was the wrong decision, except that the money I would have had to take was from the TSP. And when I did the math, I realized I'm going to lose more money long-term if I do this. So I sold it, which was the right decision. But I, I think if the money just been sitting in reserves, I might've blown it, which might've worked out, you know, but anyway, so I like the fact that I keep a lot of it in the TSP where I'm not willing to touch it because it keeps me from using my reserves for quote justifiable expenses that aren't actually emergencies. Yeah. Well, and, and so, you know, by no means, by the way, is this me saying nobody should ever get into real estate? In fact, and, and there are really important you know, reasons. And again, these, these, these reasons are just math, um, you know, for why, you know, you might very specifically want to have some real estate in your portfolio. Uh, you know, when we talk about, you know, how we put a, a broad investment portfolio together, you know, the, the, the technical term that we're talking about is that it's, you know, the real estate market is not correlated to the stock market. Um, that's just a fancy way of saying that it doesn't always move in the same direction. Uh, or it doesn't always move as much in the same direction. You know, if the stock is up 100, uh, you know, real estate might only be up five, you know, 50. Um, but, you know, if the stock is down 30% and real estate is just holding its value, real estate looks really, really smart right about now. And, yeah. and, it's, not that, um, and it's not that that's always going to be the case, but, but we know uh, as a matter of historical averages that we're going to see a bear market like the one that we're in the middle of right now on average about every six or seven years. Yep. And, and so, 
you know, real estate is, is a thing that you can put inside your portfolio that can iron out some of that volatility. Um, you know, and, and, you know, ironing out that volatility, you know, smoothing out that ride a little bit. Uh, also, again, this is just more math. Um, you know, that, uh, that kind of, uh, you know, smoothing out the ride can do better things for your gains in the long term. Yes. Um, you know, we know that the stock market, even with the volatility, um, you know, the good and the bad part of the volatility, we know that that's a, a long term winner. Um, some people aren't cut out for that volatility. Uh, and, and so, you know, some of, some of how we put this stuff together for folks is, is just straight math, but some of it is, is, uh, is done with, uh, with a, a specific understanding that the right half of your brain doesn't always care about the math. You know, sometimes the right half of your brain is just going to wake you up at three in the morning for no reason. Um, you know, and when that's the case, then it's time to get back inside your plan and figure out if we need to tweak anything or even make, you know, really significant adjustments. You know, the, the important part of it to us, you know, when we look at this stuff is to understand, um, you know, that we're doing it according to a plan, um, you know, and, you know, ADP told me this was going to be easy and I was going to make a, a shit ton of money is not a plan. Um, and, you know, and it, I mean, it might work out that way for you, um, but, but, you know, a, a sound plan is one that takes into account things like a $10,000 cash reserve for every property. Uh, a sound plan is 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 a thing that that takes into account. Hey, you insure a property differently when you are renting it out to people than you do when you are living in it as the homeowner. Um, you know all of those things, uh, and so, um, you know that's that's kind of how we look at it. You know, so I mean, you know, job one for a plan is just that you have one. Uh, job two for the plan is that that plan is rooted in reality. Um, you know. Not every renter that you ever have inside a property is going to be cooking meth inside that house, but some of them might. Yep. Uh, and so, you know, a combination of insurance and cash reserves and that sort of thing need to take into account things that you can't control because you not being able to control them is not going to get you off the hook for them. No, absolutely. I agree. Okay. So normally as we get Closer to the end of the show, I ask mm -hmm. a question that everybody's heard me ask a million times, where if an 18, 19-year-old up, walked up to you asking for advice. So my question for you is a little bit different. If I mm -hmm. was 18, 19, and just joined the military, mm -hmm. and we were to sit down, what would be like the first two or three things that you would tell me I should do to get my foundation laid out? Um, so the first thing would be, uh, and, and so this is, this is a nod literally to the, to the, to the name of your show here. Um, <laughs> you know, so the show's military to millionaire. Uh, the book that I'm going to talk about is one called the millionaire next door. Um, mm. and it was, you know, at the time it was groundbreaking research, but, but the, the main, you know, the main upshot to the book is, is that the strongest correlator that they found to people becoming millionaires later in life was not that they made a bunch of really smart, aggressive investments or that, or that they made a bunch of dumb investments and drew the inside straight and, and struck it rich anyway. The people who are millionaires later in life are the people who get their spending under control. Um, you know, the, 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 the short version of it was they found that the people that they surveyed who were millionaires were much likelier to drive a Ford Taurus than they were to drive a Mercedes. So that's, that's job one. Yep. And, and, you know, once you get your spending under control, then we can start talking about, you know, going on the attack with your finances. Uh, and for the 18 or 19 year old who, who just joined the military, uh, you know, right out of the gate, make sure that you are contributing at least enough to your TSP every month to maximize that DOD match inside the new blended retirement system. Um, there's, there's a couple of different ways to look at that, you know, whether it's uh, free money, whether it is a, a guaranteed immediate return on your investment, however you choose to look at it. Uh, I, I don't think that there is a sound argument against maximizing that match unless you're at a point where that 5% difference, you know, that 5% contribution that you make to maximize that match is the difference between, you know, enough groceries to feed the family or not. And, and if that is the case, then we need to have a different talk. Yeah. Uh, you know, we need to go back to that first talk and get your spending under control. Yeah, absolutely. 
you know, but, uh, but that, you know, that would be the first two things that I would tell any youngin right now is, you know, first, first get your spending under control. Uh, and, and then, you know, right behind that, you know, take advantage of that match. Um, you know, your 20 year career is not guaranteed. Um, you know, the, 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 the shortest term argument in favor of maximizing that match to me is just don't work at a discount. You know, anybody who hires you, who has a match inside their 401k, you know, that's a hiring cost. I do not ever advocate relieving any employer of a hiring cost. You're not going to get a bigger bonus for it at the end of the year. I mean, we already know inside the military, we're not getting any bonuses anyway. You know, you might get a pat on the head from your, from your gunny or your chief petty officer, uh, you know, or the master sergeant who, uh, you know, who supervises you and the rest of your unit. Um, but it's not gonna it's not gonna uh, redound to any kind of financial benefit for you, you know. So take advantage of every one of those things, and then and then put them to work for you in the in the best manner possible. Um, yeah. You're not gonna get a bigger Christmas card for it, you know. None of that stuff, you know. Your employer will be perfectly happy to just pay you less than what he agreed to pay you. I agree. Okay. So the next question I usually ask is what is one resource, a book course, website, whatever that you recommend. And you mentioned millionaire next door. Is there any other uh, resource uh, that you would recommend? Yeah. So there's a couple. Um, one of them is uh, an, an old favorite of mine. The, the gent that I talked about a little bit earlier, Nick Murray, who's been in the financial services industry for 50 years. He, he started his career as a, a like fresh out of college, uh, you know, broker sitting at a desk making 200 cold calls a day trying to get people to buy stock, um, you know, from from someplace in, in Manhattan. Um, you know, over the course of his career, he he began to understand that, you know, that the real value that we human advisors add is in the advice that we provide uh, in the planning that we do with and for our clients. And, and, you know, so more and more of what he's written over the years has oriented toward that. Um, most of the books that he has written, he's written for other advisors. He has written one for consumers called Simple Wealth, Inevitable Wealth. Um, not least, you know, one of my favorite parts of that book is that um, in, in nowhere in his definition of wealth do you see a dollar figure. Uh, you know, he basically describes wealth as the ability uh, to to live a life, uh, you know, of meaning, uh, you know, worthwhile pursuits, um, even if, you know, or especially if you no longer depend on work for income. There's there's no dollar figure anywhere in that in that definition, and so, and and you know, so it frees up all of us to figure out what that dollar figure is. But the dollar figure doesn't become the goal of the planning. The dollar figure becomes the enabler. The dollar figure becomes the thing that makes the things that we want to do possible. Um, you know, for some people, $500,000 to retire on is an unimaginably princely sum. Um, for some people, I, I feel bad for these people, but for some people, uh, you know, $5 million won't even begin to scratch that itch. You know, mm -hmm. they, they have to have the boat that's big enough to land the helicopter on the back of it. Most of us aren't that guy. Yeah. You know, so, you know, when Susie Orman, for example, says everybody needs $5 million to retire on, well, not everybody needs $5 million to retire on, you know, certainly we military folks, uh, you know, who have a pension sitting underneath us, that's the functional equivalent of one or $2 million to begin with, you know, just the, the effect of that, you know, that guaranteed inflation adjusted income, um, you know, so, so right out of the gate, you know, I mean, it's not a hard asset, you know, but it's an income stream. It's a guaranteed income stream. Um, and, and, and it takes a big bite out of what would otherwise be a $5 million figure. Absolutely. All right. Uh, before we wrap this up, where can people get a hold of you? Oh, um, before I answer that question, oh, one yeah. other, one other resource that I've, that I've seen very recently, uh, as a matter of, uh, participating in a couple of Facebook live sessions with, uh, with a couple other gents, uh, I think most people here have, have heard of Doug Nordman. Uh, many have probably heard of Daniel Kopp, uh, who is another fee only advisor. Um, and, uh, and the third, uh, or rather the fourth guy. So I was, I was the third, but the fourth guy in on some of these sessions was, a uh, uh, he's still an active duty air force pilot named Steven Heptig. Uh, and Steven has developed, 
a free online course called FI 101. Um, and, uh, and so, uh, do you have show notes that you do for this, David? Yeah. Okay. So I'll get you a link that you can get the, the FI 101, um, you know, posted in the show notes, uh, totally free resource. Uh, it's, it's like 11 or 12 modules that, you know, you step through on your own. Um, you know, and it's, it's part of the, the broader choose FI community. Um, you know, that they've, uh, they've sponsored putting this together and, and hosting the material and all that. And it's, it's, I mean, great, great, great free resource and, and really good in terms of, um, you know, it's, it's not purely about investment. It's about how to put together your broad financial plan. Awesome. Well, I know Daniel and Doug very well. I, I have yet to meet Steven in person, but, um, I'll definitely check that out as well. And we'll yeah. make sure we put it in the show notes. Yeah. Um, so in terms of where to find me, um, uh, so Paul and I run uh, redeployment wealth strategies here, you know, basically the, uh, the, the, the animating spirit behind the firm was to make sure that, um, you know, that, that financial advice in your best interest, not just investment advice, but, you know, an investment plan that fits inside a broader financial plan that serves your life plan. Um, you know, part of our, uh, you know, our touchstone, you know, first principles when we stood this outfit up was to make sure that, uh, you know, uh, a staff sergeant or a first class petty officer, uh, or a technical sergeant, you know, basically an E6 in any of our services, um, you know, would be able to afford this service and it's, and it's a fee only, uh, fee only outfit. And so, you know, by definition, by legal requirement, everything that we do here is, is in the best interest of our clients. Um, the, uh, the where to find us online is real easy. It's just uh, redeploymentwealth.com. Um, and I would imagine you'll probably have a link for that in the show notes too. So Absolutely. I, won't, I won't belabor it by spelling it. <laughs> it's still <laughs> I'll, a I'll long, like it. yeah, it's still a long web domain. Uh, we couldn't, we couldn't avoid that because uh, rws.com was already taken. So, uh, so redeployment wealth was it. So perfect. Well, Sean, I really appreciate you joining me today. Yeah, likewise. Hey, I appreciate having you on. And, uh, you know, uh, for, for those of you who, uh, you know, in, inside a couple of these different Facebook forums, uh, just like Doug, just like Daniel, you know, I spend a decent amount of time inside these forums, just, just talking about stuff. So, you know, if you've got an odd question here or there, I can usually be found inside those as well. Um, you know, probably, probably only one question out of every hundred that I answer, uh, <laughs> you know, results in a, in a client coming in the door and that's okay. We actually kind of bake that into, uh, you know, how we wanted to be doing business here. Perfect. Well, I really appreciate it. And I know that, uh, well, Doug, Doug was the first person to ever recommend you to me and any, any friend of Doug's is, is absolutely worth talking to, especially about finance. So, well, yeah, Doug's a national treasure. So <laughs> I don't know how much of the nation knows this, but, uh, <laughs> I'm happy to be part of the nation that does. Yes, sir. Awesome. Well, have a great day. Thanks, David. Thank you for listening to another episode about my journey from military to millionaire. If you liked it, be sure to visit from military millionaire.com slash podcast to subscribe to future podcasts. While you're there, we'd love for you to rate the show. Give us a review on iTunes. Now get out there and take action.